as we're getting ready to look at the Word together, I just want to remind you of some things we brought. Our media team does a great job with creating tools that are not only visually appealing, but they're really edifying. And we have some items here. Just If you're interested in, in learning more about how to pray for Central Asian peoples, this is a great thing to put on your table. You can pray for 60 unreached peoples in Central Asia. There's one about how to love Muslims. Just a lot of great material. Uh, Moscow. Those of you who visited Turkey, you can pray for a number of Turkish uh, cities and learn about them. So I just want to bring, your, bring those to your attention uh, this morning. It's this may sound strange to some of you for me to say this, but this feels really formal to me. So um, I may ask questions and then be waiting for you to respond, and it's okay. Don't, you don't have to. I'm used to teaching and preaching in, in smaller settings in Central Asia, usually meeting in someone's house where we're gathered in a, in a semicircle, and um, I'm sitting on the floor or sitting in a chair. You should notice how many times it says that Jesus sat down and began to teach. Um, so anyway, forgive me if uh, in this very formal setting, uh, you know, I, I ask questions and, and get a little bit um, informal in that way. I'd like to pray. Again, thank you for praying, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. We are so grateful for what your church does in serving our people, and it's been a delight to be here uh, and to be among you. I'm thankful for this church here in Nashville. I would like to pray again, and then we'll explore a little bit of First Thessalonians. Our great God and our Father, we are, are in awe of you, how grateful we are that in your goodness and in your kindness, you have chosen us and you have called us to yourself. You have gathered us this morning in, in the midst of your people, in the presence of your spirit, and we don't take that for granted. We thank you for the rich blessing it is to be able to gather as your people. And I pray that as I speak, you'd help me to speak clearly and plainly and simply and only things that are true, things that would bring you glory and would build us up. And Father, work these things into my own life as well. Help me to be one who lives by faith and not by sight, who isn't just a hearer of your word, but is a doer. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, a few little logistical things. There's some, a place here if you want to take notes. We're going to be looking at that passage. We'll be going through it not necessarily in order, but those are some things that I hope that we'll see. We're going to look at a pretty good chunk of First Thessalonians. We'll be looking at a couple of different things. What does it say about the message that we have? And what does it say about the Thessalonians' model response to the gospel? And what does it say about the messengers, which would be Paul and Silas and Timothy? And then the model community. And so the title of the message is Thank God for Models. Uh, for Paul's model, for Christ, who is, is the final and the greatest model, for the church in Thessalonica, which in many ways was a model uh, to the believers uh, um, in that part of the world. But I want to begin by asking you just to imagine, if you will, that you get to listen in on a prayer meeting with Paul and Silas and Timothy. I, I don't want to advocate just going and listening to prayer meetings without participating, so that's not my, my idea here. I just want you to Imagine for a minute the kind of things they might have prayed for. What I'm going to do is try to frame the situation, then we're going to look at the text together. And maybe Paul said something like this, Our God and Father, our Lord Jesus, our hearts are full of thanks. You've given us spiritual children, Father. It was you who sent the Spirit to convert these Thessalonians. We didn't do it. You did it. You intervened and saved these people, and we thank you, God. And maybe Silas says something like this, God... 
You've made us to love them, and they love each other so much. How we thank you for that. Miriam was shunned by her parents. She refused to give up her new Christian friends, and you have sustained her. And we thank you, God, for that. Be a savior to her, O Jesus. Protect her. And may the church embrace Miriam as their very own sister. Then maybe Timothy chimed in. Samuel was beaten in the synagogue today, God. You know this. Be his healer. Be his companion. He did not deny your name. Stay close to him, O God. And may all the Christians of Thessalonica follow just like Samuel. Then maybe Silas says, God, may no one panic in this city even though they're under persecution. May everyone endure. May they keep their hope in the Lord Jesus. May they remember that Jesus has died but he has risen and that he is at your right hand. Remind them that persecution is normal for all of us who follow you. Then maybe Paul says something like this. Thank you, Father, for these disciples, my spiritual children. And then he prays for dozens, maybe 20, 30, 40 people who've come to faith. And he mentions the details about them. And he says something like this. I'm so far away from them right now. You know how I love them. I long to be with these people who have come to faith. Take care of them. We're a long way away, but you are not. And remove the obstacles that the devil, Satan, has put in place that we might get to see one another again. And then maybe Silas says something like this. Timothy has brought us a good report, O God, as you know, how we thank you that our brothers and sisters in Thessalonica are doing well in the midst of much trouble and trial. And so on and so on. It might have gone as Paul and Silas and Timothy prayed for the church in Thessalonica. Now let me invite you into another very small prayer meeting, and I'm going to translate for you as our Central Asian brothers pray for one another. Maybe they're praying something like this today, all over Central Asia. Bahadir, a Christian, a follower of Jesus from a Muslim background. He says, Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thank you for forgiving our sins and and saving us, for taking our shame and giving us new life in Christ. We thank you for our new identity in Jesus Christ. We have no family now, but we have the church. Thank you, Father. And then maybe Farida, a female believer, a woman who's followed Christ, prays this. Thank you for giving me boldness when everyone was rejecting me. Thank you that my sister was able to share her faith with her relatives. Thank you that she didn't give up and that she was bold and that she persevered and that now some of them are followers of Jesus. And then maybe Abdullah prays something like this. We thank you for the faith hope, and love of our brother. He shared your good news with his entire family even after they rejected him and put him out of his home. Help him to keep on loving them and not to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him strength. Remind him of the hope of heaven. And maybe they all pray, may your word be at work in your people, O God. May your work accomplish those purposes that we may all walk in a manner worthy of our calling. May we learn to live in a way that pleases you. I don't know if anyone's prayed those exact words, but I have a feeling they prayed something similar somewhere in Central Asia today, the faithful followers of Jesus. And I have a feeling that Paul, Silas, and Timothy 
made prayers like the one that we kind of eavesdropped on a few minutes ago. We'll see what Paul says in this passage. But first, let's just ask the question, how did the gospel get to Thessalonica? Thessalonica is in Greece. It's in Europe. How did it get there? And let me go all the way back to the third chapter of Genesis. It got there because God had a plan and even promised in Genesis chapter 3 that one day the seed of Adam would crush the serpent's head. And then we see later on in Genesis 12 the promise to Abraham. Remember that? God says, I'll make you a great nation and you will be great and I will bless you and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's what's happening in Thessalonica as Paul writes. In Psalm, Psalm 67, do you know that one? It's a prayer that Israel prayed over and over again. May all the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the land yield its harvest. Bless us, basically, was the prayer, that we might be a blessing to others. And that was happening in Thessalonica. Even the promises of Isaiah, that the word would go to the ends of the earth, is happening in Thessalonica in in about the year 50 A.D. But more specifically, how did Paul get to Thessalonica? As you may know, the church was started by Paul and Silas and Timothy. Before they were in Thessalonica, they were in Philippi. And we know that story, don't we? Where Paul goes and he preaches to some people who are out by the water, by the river, and a number believe in Lydia, who's a seller of purple cloth. She believes, and there's a church that meets in her household. And Paul and his buddies get thrown in prison. And there's a riot that's stirred up, and then the Lord delivers them miraculously from prison, but not after Paul is beaten. And so he arrives in Thessalonica to share the gospel, maybe a four days walk from Thessalonica. You know, I was thinking about the text this week, and it dawned on me that we just don't realize some of the details because they're not clearly stated. But do you wonder what Paul might have looked like as he walked up to Thessalonica after a four-day journey, having been beaten and imprisoned, and really sent running from Philippi? I mean, let's think emergency room. Somebody who stumbles in off the street in ragged clothes into the emergency room. That's Paul's condition when he arrives in Thessalonica to start the church that we're going to read about today. Now, that church was in a port city. It was a very uh, profligate place. You know, sometimes we think the problems we have with deviant sexuality are new. They're not new at all. I think Thessalonica uh, has one up on us even in terms of deviant lifestyles. It was an interesting place full of idolatry. So I want to read the passage now with that in mind and see what Paul says to these Thessalonians. Remember, we're looking for the gospel, the message of missions. We're looking for the model messengers and the model community. And then I'm hoping that you also will think through what is to be your response uh, to this word. So let's hear the word of God with those things in mind. The first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly remembering you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. 
and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Okay, let's try to tease out a few uh, ideas from this passage. There are a number of things that are kind of underlying theological assumptions, realities that we need to keep in mind as we read through this. And, and the way the two sections end, speaking of the wrath of God, which is coming, and the rescue that Jesus has, and then verse 16 also talks about the wrath of God coming upon those who oppose Christ and his message and hinder Paul and his band from speaking to Gentiles. Um, that's, that's an underlying assumption we need to have as we read this text. And I realize that in our day and age, it's not something that maybe we think about all the time, but it is uh, a theological reality that a day is coming, a judgment day, when God will finally and fully pour out his wrath on all people, all those who have hindered Christ and his gospel. All the opponents of God will experience his wrath in an eternal fashion forever and ever. That's the theological foundation uh, under which Paul lives and, and in which he writes. And we can't really understand this passage 
if we don't understand that. Um, I'm not suggesting every day you wake up and meditate on that, but there it is. It's true, nevertheless, that a judgment day is coming. The end is coming, and on that day, God will finally punish all those who have opposed him and his gospel. It's not something that's pleasant to think about, but it does seem to have energized Paul, and it does seem also to have energized the Thessalonians who were sharing this good news of the gospel in in the face of much affliction and persecution. Why? In part because they understood very well this truth, that all of history is moving towards a day of judgment, the final day, the end, when God's opposition to all that is evil will be poured out finally and fully upon those who oppose him. And that is part of the good news of the gospel, that there is a a final judgment from which we all must be saved. So that's one of the underlying um, theological themes there that we need to keep in mind. Let's look quickly at a few categories. What is this life-changing gospel word? Well, I already hinted at it in verses 9 and 10. Um, It is the message of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead who delivers us from the wrath to come. It is a message of Jesus Christ, the perfect Savior who died, lived a perfect life, died and rose again, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. It is a message that calls us, as the Thessalonians did, to turn from idols and to turn to God. And how is this message received? How did the Thessalonians respond to it? Let me try to paint a picture for you of how that looked. The message is proclaimed by Paul, Silas, or Timothy. It's a message that is the gospel that comes to the Thessalonians, and they receive it, it says. They receive that message not as the words of men, the gospel, the good news, but as it really is the words of God. They embrace it. They receive it. And so they turn from idols to serve the living and true God. And many of us stop right there. But that's not what this passage is about. What, what they further do is because they understand this is a message from God that they have received by faith. They have turned from idolatry to serve the living God, to wait and serve. And furthermore, they have taken that message and proclaimed it to others that they might understand the true gospel as well. So I think what Paul's trying to get us to understand here is that the gospel changes people's lives in such a way that they are transformed. But because it's true, when we receive it as the message from God in our hearts, in our total beings, and we say, this is true, this is the ultimate reality, that God is at work reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ, that there is only one Savior, that the end is coming and there will be a judgment, and we must be rescued from that judgment. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can be rescued. Once we understand that as a word from God and we receive it, then we have no choice but to share it with others. That's the model response to the gospel that I think we see in Thessalonians. They became a model for all the other churches. Why? Because they received that gospel message as though it were really the word of God and it were true. And that message rang forth all over Macedonia and Achaia. They knew it was true and so they shared it with others. And so I want to suggest to you that The Thessalonians' model response to the gospel is really the true and genuine response to the gospel. And if we haven't really understood the message as coming from God, then maybe we won't share it with others. But once we realize this is the true message, 
that the end is coming and people need to be rescued and we receive it, we turn, we serve God by telling others. That's the model response of the Thessalonians. Um, And that's not something we do in and of ourselves. The text tells us here very clearly in verse 5 that Paul, Silas, and Timothy say, we know that you've been chosen by God. Why? Because the message came to you, our gospel, not only in the word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So it's not something that Paul, Silas, or Timothy have control over. Their only control over is how they share that message. It's God who sends his spirit and the gospel comes in power and with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And I believe this passage teaches us that when that happens, we receive that message, we turn from idols, we serve the living God, and the message does go forth. That's what it means for the message to be understood and embraced with full conviction in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can hold on to and keep to ourselves. It's, it's, it's Holy Spirit working in us so that we become those who share that message with others. I don't know if some of you have read First Thessalonians, I know, a number of times. He never tells the Thessalonians to share the gospel or to go out and do evangelism. Have you noticed that? It just happens. How does it happen? I want to suggest it happens because the gospel, the word of God, is at work in them through the Holy Spirit. It's the natural response. When we receive the gospel as the word of God and not just men, we do share it with others. And I know this church is doing that. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the ways you are reaching out to the peoples in Nashville and throughout the world. And my encouragement to us is that we would keep on doing that and that we would pray every time the gospel is shared that there would be a model response to that gospel. That the good news of Jesus Christ would be received as the word of God and not men. And therefore, lives would be changed and transformed and that gospel would be shared with the ends of the earth. I think that's built into the message of the gospel. So, one more time, just to make sure we've got this. The word comes from God. We receive it in our hearts or in our lives with our whole beings. We accept that this is true, that we have fallen short and that we need a Savior, and that the good news is of Jesus Christ. He alone can rescue us from the coming opposition or wrath of God against sin. We embrace that as a word from God. Our lives change as we turn away from the idols, false gods in our lives. And then we share that message with others. The message rings out everywhere. That's certainly what happened in Thessalonica. And Paul is giving thanks to that. Just look at verse 9. For they themselves, in other words, all the people are reporting. Paul's writing from Corinth. It's gotten as far as there. They are reporting concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the model response to the gospel is one that the Thessalonians have exhibited. I want us to think secondly about missions messengers and look at Paul's, Silas, and Timothy's uh, example here. First of all, they're working together. This is fairly obvious. Sometimes we say this is Paul's letter. It really is Paul, Silas, and Timothy's. And Timothy's probably the one who brought it to Thessalonica. So Paul never worked alone. That's one very basic thing. But his, his appeal here is to the people with whom he's sharing the gospel, you know all about our lives. You know how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you, he says. He says to them, we were like a nursing mother 
Any nursing mothers here? Day and night, looking out for the needs of that newborn. We're like a father to you, exhorting and instructing you how to live lives that are pleasing to God. We worked day and night among you, he says. We did not want to be a burden to any of you Thessalonians. Even though as apostles, he says, we could have been a burden to you. What's going on there? Paul's simply saying, as a minister of the gospel, as a pioneer apostolic worker, he could have asked them to help with his expenses. But he didn't. Because for Paul, the governing... uh, how he made his decision was, is this going to help or hinder the gospel? I have a right to ask you Thessalonians to help with some of my expenses. After all, I'm on the road preaching the gospel to you, he might have said. But I won't. I won't do that. I'll, I'll put aside that right. I will work day and night. Probably worked on a, some sort of a colonnade, kind of mall, outdoor mall street, probably as a tent maker where he could live upstairs uh, with somebody in Thessalonica and work during the day in, in kind of a, a, a kiosk, if you will, kind of a setting and share the gospel even while he worked. But Paul laid down that right. He said, this is what it means to be a model messenger, an exemplary worker of the gospel. It's not about whether or not Paul received assistance. Sometimes he did. But his primary criteria was, is this going to help or hinder the gospel? If it's going to hinder the gospel, then I won't receive any help from you. I'll work night and day. And so will, Paul and, or so will Silas and, and Timothy. And in other places, he received money, say, from the Philippians for work in a different area. But I think you catch what I'm trying to say. Exemplary missions messengers evaluate everything on this criteria. Is it going to help or hinder the gospel? If it helps, then we can do it. If it's going to hinder, then I'm not going to do it. I'll put aside that right that ordinarily I might have in order to share the gospel. Something we talk about in Central Asia a lot is life-on-life ministry. So it's the life of the missionary messenger on or with the life of the people he's trying to reach and disciple. I think we see that exemplified by Paul here. Um, I'm not going to read those verses again, but the things I mentioned being among them like a nursing mother, like a father, sharing his life with them. God is my witness and so are you. There's transparency there. Uh, It's not as though Paul runs out and does some missions work and then retreats into his own life. His life is an open book for people to read. I think that's what it means to be uh, an exemplary worker or a missions uh, metaphor, a missions messenger. And some of you may wonder, okay, well, I'm not maybe going to be working overseas. How does this apply to me? I think it applies to all of us uh, who have received that message as the word of God and are trying to share it with others. However and with whomever you share the gospel, be an exemplary messenger of that gospel. Uh, Paul says he doesn't use flattery. He's not trying to trick anyone. He's just explaining this message to people, loving them and living with them. And I think that works wherever we live. Uh, There's no bait and switch with the gospel. This is the message. Here's my life. And then you pray for a a model response of those people. When reading Thessalonians, reading Acts 16 and 17, you don't always get the model response, right? Even Paul was chased out of Thessalonica. He was hanging out at Jason's house, probably working as a tent maker with Jason. The uh, Jewish people incited a, a riot, and they said things that were not true about Paul and they chased him out of the city. Then he went on to Berea, which is not very far away, maybe two days' walk, where the same thing happened. The people from Thessalonica chased him to Berea and started another riot. So then he had to leave again. 
funny thing about that is where we have lived, and indeed where people work in Central Asia, the enemy of the gospel, the one who seeks to hinder the spread of God's word, who is opposed to Jesus Christ and everything that is good and true, he does the same things today. Exactly the same stuff in the Muslim world today. Um, those who oppose Christ will stir up riots and say things that are not true about followers of Jesus. And then when those people leave and move to another place, they'll have people follow them and do the exact same thing again. It's uncanny. But part of the model response of Paul and of the Thessalonians was no matter what happened in terms of persecution and affliction, they continued to share the message with joy and with perseverance. And that at least is part of what this letter is about. Paul giving thanks because he's a little concerned. Timothy has just returned from seeing the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Paul hears from Timothy, they're doing okay. Even though there's persecution all around them, they continue to share the gospel everywhere. Their lives have been transformed. They really did turn from idols. They really are serving the living and true God, and they're persevering with joy. And so that's the reason Paul writes this letter in part, is to give thanks for that. So the model community. What about a model community here? Uh, there's have to read further in First Thessalonians. We're not going to do that this morning. I encourage you to take some time this afternoon on the Lord's Day and just probe a little bit further in chapters 3 and 4 and 5. But mainly what you'll find is the model response, or this was a model community because they were sharing the gospel and they were loving each other as well. And so Paul doesn't say you need to love each other. He says you are already loving one another, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Indeed, he uses all this family language. They're treating each other like a functional family, a loving family. And Paul's happy about that. And that, that's part of what it means to be a model community is to love one another as indeed you are doing, I know, here at Trinity. Um, and, and to love outsiders as well, insiders and outsiders. They're a model community too, he says, because they're imitating the churches in Judea. In verse 14, he makes that clear. And what happened to the churches in Judea? In Judea, it was the Jewish people who incited uh, persecution and stirred up riots against the followers of Jesus. And just as the church in Jerusalem had faced persecution, but it continued to share the gospel, so also the Thessalonians in a pagan environment had faced the exact same kinds of problems, but were joyfully persevering in the faith. And so they are a model community in that sense as well. So we have the message of the gospel. We have the messengers who are supposed to be exemplary in their lives. We have a model response on the part of the Thessalonians. And again, I just want to emphasize that model response is not simply receiving the gospel, but it's sharing it with others joyfully in the midst of persecution. There's no way to escape that that's what Paul's getting at here. The gospel has transformed their lives so that they are morally different. There's a lot about that in chapter 4. But also has transformed their lives so that they share freely in the midst of persecution and joyfully that message that they now know actually came from God. That there's an end. And we need to share that message now. Because the end is coming. When it will be too late uh, to respond. There's a book that's, that's popular now. My wife has just read it. I have it on my Kindle, but I haven't gotten into it yet. Uh, Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. I wonder if anybody here has read it. It's a real interesting book. And towards the end of the book, what this uh, former Muslim person says who's now a a follower of Jesus he says this he says 
all these years, the, the Christians I knew who didn't share the gospel with me, did they not understand? I mean, what, 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 what was that about? He, this, this Muslim background believer, he's a Thessalonian. He received that message. He understands. This is from God. There's, there's a judgment coming. I better share this with everyone. And believe me, the people that he shares with, they're probably not, many of them, responding positively. But he continues to share it with joy. That's, that's the model response to the gospel. Um, and, and I share that because, not just because I work overseas, um, because sometimes we, it, we do get a little bit caught up in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel to make us more like Jesus. And we forget that part of that is sharing that good news in the spite of persecution and difficulty um, and seeing it as a message that comes from God. Let's think for a minute about your model response. There's much more that we could talk about in this passage. Uh, as a church, you might want to think about the fact that so much of what Paul talks about is imitation ministry. And, and I hope that you have people that you're mentoring, that you take alongside of you. And I, I, in the Sunday school class, I recommended a book. I hate to do that because far better to say, hey, let's, let's live this together. Let's try to do this together. Um, boldness on Paul's part, but there should be many people in this church who can say, just imitate me. Come see how I do this. I'm falling short. I'm not Christ. But come see how I do this. Let's do this together. Uh, They're imitators of Paul and of Jesus. And we are called, at least in part, to imitate this church. They're models, he says. And my prayer is that this church, which already is a model, that you would become more and more a model church along the same lines as this church in Thessalonica was. Known as those who really understand the gospel and shared in the midst of suffering and difficulty who love one another. And when you're messengers of the gospel, it's life on life. Your lives are an open book for people. You're trying to figure out how you can love each other better and how to love the people outside the church more and more. And of course, the Thessalonians didn't know about the thousands of unreached people groups, but they did share the gospel as far and as wide as they could, as far as Macedonia and Achaia, which was a long way in those days. And so part of our response, I think, should always be to keep learning about who has yet to hear and, and what's my role. How can I pray for a Thessalonian response on the part of unreached people groups who are still unengaged? That's, that's part of what we should be as the church. Um, and growing in that way. So I wonder, as we conclude, I wonder what, what, is, what kind of response is God asking you to make so that you can be a model? What sort of model response is it? Is it uh, that you feel challenged or encouraged to grow as a model messenger? Um, your own response to the gospel, you want it to be a model for others? So when people see how you live, they're attracted to Jesus, or they're repelled, okay? It, it does work both ways. Um, they may be repelled because they're just haters of God and his truth, but some will be attracted to that life that's been transformed, the joy in the midst of persecution, um, and the model community. Maybe some of you really feel called to invest more and more in, in having this church be a model community that it already is. Again, that's the message of First Thessalonians isn't, let me sort you Thessalonians out. And in Corinth and some other places, there's some sorting out to be done. 
the message of Thessalonians is, you guys are, you guys are doing well. Now keep it up and, and keep going. And that's my word to this church. Not, hey, you need to be sorted out. That's crazy. You guys are doing very well. Now keep it up. Hear what Paul says. Be a model community for the folks in Nashville, for the peoples of Nashville, for other churches around. So before I pray, I want to just pause and give you a couple minutes to either just peek at Thessalonians again, think about those categories. I know I've gone really quickly. And maybe the best thing is to take your Bible this afternoon and read those verses again and, and just prayerfully uh, sit in God's presence and say, help me understand what, how, how should I respond, oh God, to, to your word. But in case some of you are going to be really busy this afternoon, I want to give you about 30 seconds, 45 seconds to do that right now, and then I will close us in prayer. Our Father, we are truly grateful. What a blessing that we've had access to your gospel, that we can read the word in our own language and understand it. It's clear to us. Thank you for Jesus, first of all, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thank you for Paul, Silas, and Timothy who worked so hard and tirelessly to get the gospel to Europe started there. Thank you even for these Thessalonians who were a model. And Lord, we... In our heart of hearts, you know that's what we want to be. Every one of us wants to be someone that that others might imitate, that Jesus would receive the glory, not that we'd be lifted up, but that Christ and his word would receive the fame that he so rightfully deserves. So work that into our lives, Lord. Give us more and more joy through your Holy Spirit, whatever happens. And help us to see uh, those around us as those who really need to hear that word from you. And may we just devote ourselves afresh this day to living out the gospel and being the people that you've called us to be. And thank you for this church and pray your abundant blessings upon the ministry of Trinity Church. In Jesus' name, amen.